everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And today we have a super special bonus episode for you with Catherine McGee, who is the author of our September book club book, which was American Royals. Hi, Katie. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're so excited. So for those of you who might have missed the episode this week about the book, definitely read the book. It's called American Royals. This is actually the first time we've ever repeated an author for our book club. So you may remember her name from when we discussed The Thousandth Floor, which was one of our 2018 book club picks. Catherine, we're so excited you're here. I know. It's so good to and to finally get to chat with you because I remember when you did The Thousandth Floor episode, I listened to it in my car and I was exclaiming aloud at various parts alone. <laughs> it, I felt like I was talking to two really good friends about my own book and then I kept remembering that I wasn't actually in conversation with you. So now I am. So it's so fun to, to get to chat with you live about it all. I know we're so excited. We always love to hear about the behind the scenes of our favorite books and kind of just about what it's like to be an author. It's a funny job. And we're so excited to be here with you because we've kind of become friends with you just from being yeah, super not fan kind girls of, of your book. Yeah. We're so happy you're here. I'm so glad. And, and I- we're such big fans. And it's really fun when you go from being like such a fan of someone to actually being real life friends. Well, this yeah. is my favorite part of the job, getting to talk with really smart, fabulous, inspiring ladies about fun stories. Well, wait, Grace, before we get into it, how... Did you meet Katie? So, I feel like I'm interchangeably using Catherine and Katie that's because I know fine. Catherine yeah. is her author name. Catherine's her author name, but she's Katie because we call we've emailed now and talked. Katie's and- what I go by in real life, and Catherine is my professional author persona. But <laughs> I, I'm in real life mode right now, so it's fine. And in real life, you're such a Katie. I'm totally a Katie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what did the it feel is. like a book with Katie McGee would have quite the heft. It's just it seems a little bit more authorial and distinguished yes. when it's when it has a long you know formal looking name on the cover it kind of anchors the visual of the cover so here we are oh if I read a book would I have to be Rebecca Freeman absolutely I think my sister that's how my sister is she's Becca to everyone and she's everyone calls her Rebecca because professionally she's Rebecca Atwood designs and Rebecca Atwood is her book so I I would do what you did and make it Catherine if I, if I wrote a book. Yeah, I also have a really cool spelling. It's the K-T-H-A, very rare yeah. British spelling, which my mom just fell in love with and used. And it's it's so much fun, but it has haunted me my whole life because people always misspell my name. So I'm still having people tag the book in photos and complain, this author isn't even on Instagram. It's super weird. And I always oh, go, no, no I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Just hiding with a name that you don't know how to spell. Yeah. <laughs> I think I remember trying to find you. So we met through Instagram. And I we don't did. really remember how how it's it was a while ago it was when i read the thousandth floor for the first time and that was it wasn't pitched to me by your publishing house i mean i wasn't getting a lot of advanced copies at that point because it was like three years ago and um a reader had been like oh if you like i had read something you have to read this it's like a futuristic gossip girl and i was like i dropped what i was doing and i was like I'm going to read The Thousandth Floor. And I fell in love with it. And I think I tagged you on Instagram. And you were like, oh, my God, hi. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. So you tagged me on Instagram and immediately three different friends who all follow you (laughs) screenshotted it and sent it to me. So, So of course, I went over and looked and I thought, "Okay, who is this fabulous blogger that I need to start following? So I (laughs) I think it was fall 2017 because the second book had just come out. So I DM'd you and asked if I could send you the second book, The Dazzling Heights. And then Mm -hmm. um, not only did I send it to you, but I 
asked if you would run a giveaway for me. Yeah. So, yeah. Then, which you very graciously agreed to do. Yeah. So I think our <laughs> friendship just blossomed from there. Yeah. So, I mean, I was just like, and I, I still to this day, like getting a book before everyone else gets it is like the coolest feeling. So I remember being like, oh, yeah, I have this signed one from the author. Like, I think it was only like a week before it came out because you didn't have yes. like a lot of advanced copies. And I was just like, I am so special. I have this book early. It's so fun to be in the know, right? Yeah, <laughs> seriously. And then so Katie lives in Houston and probably last fall fall or this winter sometime she was in new york and she was like can we all get together so we had this really fun dinner in brooklyn and we already knew that we wanted we had advanced copies of american royals and we'd read it and we already knew that we wanted it to be our book club book so it was like part friends and then part like business not business but just like it means we, we love this so nice much dinner. can we can we want we want to talk about this on the podcast yeah but yeah i'm so excited about this book i Loved it. And it's totally up my alley. Like, royal-type fiction is, like, yeah. an automatic read for me. But it's got that kind of, like, rich kids angle, too. So it's, like, of it's course. like Gossip Girl meets the royal we. I totally. love that. That's yeah. the perfect one-liner for yeah. it. But, yeah. But wait, I'm curious. How did you come up with the idea for this book? This book actually was my baby even before the Thousandth Floor series. Oh, wow. I started trying to work on this in 2012. I think the original idea came from the royal wedding. I'm really sad that you guys weren't my friends back then because this was back when I was living in New York and I actually had one of my close friends were, used to work in television and she got us access to the Kathy Lee and Hoda royal viewing party. Oh my God. Oh, it's so funny. I'll show you pictures later. I think I'm going to do an Instagram TBT of it because it's really delightful to look back on. And it was one of my favorite New York moments. And so, of course, the wedding was airing live. So New York time, the pre-show began at 5 a.m. So I got up at 4 and did my hair and put on a big hat and obviously had planned out my outfit weeks in advance. And we go to this what very... What did you wear? I wore this pink, bright pink dress and a big hat with a yellow ribbon, I remember. Oh my and my gosh. tallest heels. Yeah. And we, I bet you looked adorable. It was really fun. Everyone there had on hats. Everyone was feeling festive and excited. And at 5 a.m., People were already lined up outside, drinking mimosas, ready to go. And they had the wedding playing on huge screens inside this restaurant. And then when when the actual wedding happened, when the ceremony began at seven, people were cheering and applauding. When they kissed, it was the whole room seemed to just celebrate with them. And then I felt like I looked outside and people on the streets were excited. And it was just this very interesting moment to me because here I was in Manhattan celebrating something that was happening thousands of miles away in London with royals that don't even belong to us. So that was the very beginning of like, we don't even have royals. And here we are so thrilled to to witness this moment. What would it be like if we did have royals? But my first incarnation of the book was very different. I had never really written fiction before. I was working in book publishing as just an assistant editor and you know, had written plenty of other types of things, publishing documents, essays in college. So this was my my first stab at it, and it was. It, I tried to make it more of a political thriller. It was very House of Cards esque in oh. tone. 
sort of an adult male property with a lot of boys narrating and the king had an illegitimate love child and there was an assassination attempt and it was oh, wow. very so dark and twisty. Different. It was yeah. really different. I didn't write that much of it. I wrote an outline and then two chapters. Okay. And gave those to my boss who did not think that any of it made sense. <laughs> Thought it. He said the concept had something to it, but this was this was not the right moment. He also felt like the royal moment had come and gone. He said, I wish you'd brought this to me two years ago because it would have been really fun to publish in the lead up to the royal wedding. But now the royal wedding's happened and and we're all going to move on. Little did he know. Yeah. So I set it aside and worked on the thousandth floor, but the concept never left me. And I revisited it last year when I was wrapping up thousand four book three and it, it was very painful because i got back out all my old documents that were related to it and you know my first pitch but i just had to do a lot of thinking about what in this concept is working and and what do i need to set aside and i by now i know myself well enough as a writer to realize that the stories that really resonate with me are love stories and coming of age stories and narratives about young people who are figuring out who they are and what they want from life yeah not something that's really, really dark and Kevin Spacey-esque. So I kept sort of the bones of the story, but was able to take it in a more Catherine McGee direction. And I'm really happy with where it is. And so since it's the first thing that I ever worked on, in many ways, I feel very more emotionally invested in it than it's just been a really long journey. And so I'm really happy to, to finally be here and have it actually out in the world. Well, now we're really invested in it. And like, I'm I was, I'm not upset anymore because I finished reading it. I'm still upset. Months ago. And now I'm like, I want more. Like, I remember just putting down the first one. I'm like, that's where it ends. I need more. And that's how I felt with your other books, with The Thousandth Floor. Like, I was like, I remember being so excited to get that second one earlier. But then I was like, well, now that just means the wait time for the third one is even longer. I'm so sorry. I really do have a bad habit of ending on cliffhangers. I mean, it's a good habit. When I we just saw you the other week, I, I volunteered to let you share a Google Doc with me so I can read it as you wrote it. And <laughs> for some reason, you declined, but like offer still on the table. I need to know what happens I was, as soon as I would possible. like to be included in those emails. <laughs> I, maybe I could do like little teasers where I just send you one line out of context oh and you God, don't know okay. who's saying it or what, it's, what scene it's from. <laughs> Stop torturing me. Worse. But it's so funny. I almost wish I like discovered you like five years from now and could just binge all of your books that's, all at once. That's the best time to find a series is when all of the books are out. So you can just yeah. like scratch the itch. And It's kind of like, well, we found this terrible series. Katie's books are nothing like them. They're really well written. But the selection books. Have you I read love those? those books. I love them. Yes, they're really fun. But we found out about those like way after they come out. So there was like five. I was like, well, there goes my week. Seriously. But wait, is there anything you can tell us about the sequel? Like anything? When is it coming? What does it cover? It's like, coming fall 2020. I have seen a cover mock-up, but I can't share it except to say that it looks really good. And it's very much in keeping with what the first cover looks like. It's that really fun, illustrated high concept looking, you know, sunglasses-esque yeah. well, wait. image. So are you, have you finished writing it? Or are you in the midst of writing I'm it? I'm in the midst of writing. I'm on the third draft. My editor is about to pummel me because I am so behind, but I, it's, it's all going to be fine. We still have a long time. It doesn't come out for a year. I am really loving where the story is going. 
it, there's a lot of surprises in store. Again, if you've read my first series, you know that I write like a Shonda Rhimes show. I write like a soap opera. So nothing and no one is safe, but it's all, it's all, you do. No one is delightfully fun. You killed so many people in the thousandth floor series. I really did. I, yes. And if you meet Katie, she is like the most put together, like this. How tall are you? Five foot three. She's like this small little blonde that looks like she would never hurt a fly. And then you just kill people in your books. It's really funny because sometimes I catch myself in public talking to friends or to my husband about the books. And I say things like, I mean, I was going to kill him, but I didn't know how to kill him. And I just, the timing isn't right. I need to figure out the best way to kill him. And then I think if anyone's listening to this conversation, I just, I hope they know this is all made up people that we're dealing with here. You're absolutely on some government watch list. Yeah, because yeah. our phones are listening to us. Well, Wait, Killing the king. <laughs> so you got to make up a monarchy. And one thing I always think is really interesting is in these made up fantasy worlds and yours isn't really fantasy, but it's like an alternate reality. But like you get to make the rules where it's like every book about magic, somebody just gets to like invent the system of magic that exists. So I'm curious, like how much of the laws and the structure of the monarchy is based on England or, you know, like real life? And how much of it did you just totally make up? A lot is based on England, but I had to pull myself back to stop it from sounding too British. Okay. So it's a fine line because I have Congress instead of Parliament, but I still have the essentially like the the um, head of staff for the king I call the Lord or Lady Chamberlain, which is a term that the British royals use. So it's, it's, it is a fine line because obviously Britishisms sound royal inherently because to us, that's just the association we make because that's the monarchy that we know and are familiar with. But I did try to give it its own American flavor as much as I could. It was really fun to work on the fake American aristocracy. So essentially taking as my thesis that George Washington, once he became king, he knighted lords and ladies who were the people, you know, everyone from Betsy Ross, you know, political, uh, patriotic women to the generals who fought in the war with him. And then in the present day, we're like England and we have this sort of, we have a nobility effectively. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's it's really fun. It, it I had to, again, be careful with it because it sometimes feels a little silly, but it also in a really good way. So there, so of course, you know that Teddy is the future Duke of Boston. In book two, you meet the Duke of California, and I love him. I mean, I married a guy from California, so. <laughs> oh my God, is he based on your husband? I, I mean, all all of my romantic leads have some element of yeah. my husband in them, which is really a cop-out answer, but is so true. I love it. I can't fall in love with my characters if I don't put a little bit of him in there somewhere. Yeah. Oh, that's very that's sweet. so cute. Well, I know one thing we were talking about off mic was about the succession laws. And so in American Royals, Princess Beatrice is about to ascend the throne. Um, she's being groomed for it. And she's going to be the first female monarch. And you were telling us a little bit about the succession laws in England. And I actually didn't realize how current this is because when I was reading this, I was like, oh, well, America's really behind. Because, yeah. you know, you think of currently... England has a, a female monarch, like there's Queen Elizabeth I in the past. Like I think of, I don't necessarily think of the British monarchy as progressive, but I think of it as like somewhat equal on yeah. the basis of sex. So it's interesting that you say that because obviously in the British monarchy, the men in the history of it, the men outnumber the women at 10 to 1 or something, but right. the women are the ones 
we remember because they make such good stories. Right. So obviously Elizabeth I, I mean, is a fantastic example. And the current Queen Elizabeth and Queen Victoria, those are people who reigned for a long time and shaped the era in which they lived. There's a reason that we call it the Victorian age, the Elizabethan age. So it's fun because we have these really strong female personalities, but they were the exception rather than the norm. And they struggled a lot with the demands of their job and how that came into conflict with what was expected of them. I mean, obviously, Queen Elizabeth I famously never married and referred to herself actually often as a man when she wrote speeches. You know, she said things like, I am the man and on on my head is the crown. And she dressed her troops as if she it was a very funny um, role that she felt like she had to step into because female monarchs were so atypical. And so it's it and people don't really think about this, that in the modern age, it was this recent that the rule actually changed. So it was the British law of succession of 2013 that stipulated that England was officially changing from male line, favoring the male line to favoring the oldest child. And so now whoever is the oldest child inherits regardless of whether it's a boy or girl. It's perhaps become irrelevant because George is a boy. And as much as I love George and I think he's really adorable, I there's a there's a part of me that really wishes Charlotte had been born first because we would this would have started a whole different dialogue about the fact that this law happened so late and about the fact that for so long you know England and all the nations of the world have favored men over women. And particularly given everything that's happened in recent years in America. I just felt like it was really important to me to tell a story about a woman and a young woman who's taking on a role that no woman has ever held before. So wait, I'm about to show my lack of historical knowledge. So with Elizabeth I and Queen Victoria and even the current Queen Elizabeth, were they able to come to power because they had no male siblings? No men anywhere remotely close who could take the throne. I didn't realize and that. And even so, it's still... So Queen Victoria, if you watch the BBC show Victoria, it's um, it's a delightful escape. Oh, I it's watched no, the first like four episodes. I loved it. And then I just so forgot fun. about the it. The costumes are beautiful. It's not the crown, but I still really love it. That's a whole plot line on the show. And in her life was that she, she was only queen because... Because there was literally no man who could, who was like all the men in the family were dead. And she, even so, she still has this um, evil uncle who's trying to put his children on the throne. So they're lower in the line of succession than she is. And it's, it's just really, there were plenty of people who, even though she was kind of the only option, they still would have preferred to have a man, any man, uh, rather than her. So she really had to you know, fight her way to gain approval. And of course, she famously married Prince Albert, who she was so, so in love with. I, I really find myself so attached to their relationship because they um, they write steamy love letters to each other. They were like very physically into each other. It was cute. Her, like the first day that she met him, she went home and wrote in her diary about his tight white pants that Ooh, he was wearing oh out God. fishing. I know. And like what kind of underwear was a, a German man wearing in the... 1880s I, I have no idea I'm, I'm feel like the tight white pants probably revealed quite a lot yeah and she was really into it um so she you know she was so in love and had this very happy marriage but she was always struggling with people who felt like she wasn't really the ruler that Albert was actually doing her job for her so again so going back to Beatrice it was really important to me to show a character who is trying to step into this role 
is doing it alone. But then, of course, there's this whole aspect of even though she's more than capable and very smart, there are still people who don't think she's ready and want her to have a man at her side. Yeah. Interesting. I feel like we just got schooled. I, I know. Like I've got some TV watching to do, some reading to do. I like that um, your first instinct is not like, I have some history books to read. You're like, I have some TV I've got watching some TV to do. I need to watch. <laughs> I know. Well, that's such a fun show also because they're dating in real life. Yeah. So, and if you really want some good scoop, um, according to the Prince Harry biography that I read, Jenna Coleman, who plays Victoria on the BBC show, went on dates with Prince Harry for about three months and then she broke up with him and oh my he was God. really sad and so there are very few people who end things with a prince yeah. and she was one of them so that just kind of makes her even more fabulously empowering to me because I'm like you know what she saw the royal life and she was perfectly happy just playing a royal on TV but not actually living it I would pass on the royal life what about you guys oh no I wouldn't I would be very into it oh I, I mean I just feel like you have to be so perfect all the time and like you can't just like let loose I don't know there's some fa- ingrained fantasy for better or for worse of being a princess and I'm like oh absolutely I would not want it I would not want it but I would not mind being very distantly related to the royals oh same like close enough to get invited to all the cool events yes. and the weddings but then I'll be to the go back cousin. And, yes yeah. exactly yeah the cousin in the like too short dress in the corner mm-hmm. that's me I'm into that <laughs> Well, wait, Katie, can we switch gears? So we've had authors on this podcast, but we've never been friends with them. So it feels awkward to be like, hi, nice to meet you. Tell I think me Robin Lee is our friend. Now. Now she is. But like, tell me They're all, all the behind the scenes scoop about how books get made. Can we talk about the behind the scenes of writing a book? Not. Oh, yes. Okay. But it's not glamorous, I can assure <laughs> well, you. Okay, wait. So you had a full career before becoming an author, you worked in publishing, and then you made the jump. But I'm like, I'm curious, how did you make the jump? How did you get your first book deal? Like, what does that look like? So I had a very atypical path to publication because I worked in the business. Mm -hmm. So for better or worse, that it seems like I was able to to skip to the front of the line or to have, you know, to have an advantage. But if you look at it the other way, I you could say that I worked for four years in order to get my book published, that makes sense. Like that's yeah. one way to find an agent is to work for an agent for four years and then they have to listen to you when you bring them things. So that, that's a that's a very long con if you're interested in that. Most people <laughs> just actually submit things the traditional way, which is you know emailing or mailing materials to an agent and hiring an agent that way. And then the agent sells the books to a publisher for you. So that's... There's no more direct submissions to publishers anymore. It's just there's there are too many authors and too much content and that the agents are sort of the first gatekeeper. So I was very lucky that I had worked in the business. I had seen other people write. I knew enough about the process to feel comfortable trying it on my own. But I also, you know, I felt like um, I was I gained so much wisdom from from my job before and yet there's so much about it that I'm still learning because being an author is really different and there are so many unexpected parts of it. You know, you you think as an editor that you see it all, but there I had not. There are a lot of things that I hadn't expected. Well, wait. So, had you 
written the thousandth floor when you started to pitch it or it was just a concept? It was just a concept. I have been lucky in that I've sold all of my books on what we call partial manuscript. So that means I have not written the full book yet. And that is just because I have a really great agent and they are good at selling. But that's also being good at selling is important. That's scary. But so much pressure. Yes, I will. The the good and the bad is that the book isn't written yet. So if the publisher wants some changes, it's easy to make because I don't I don't actually have a full draft so I can make those changes. That's true. On the flip side, they are feel very comfortable asking for a lot of changes because I haven't written anything. Okay, but like doing it the very first time, like you've never written a book before. So you're like, I'm just assuming that I can do this. Yes, I had written nine chapters, which we edited for a long time, probably from April to the following February. Okay. A long, long time. And I was still working at my job at that point. So it was, it wasn't top of mind. You know, we sometimes would go a while without looking at them, but I definitely spent, because it's only a partial manuscript, I made sure that the partial was absolutely perfect Mm -hmm. and punchy and every chapter ended on a Catherine McGee cliffhanger and everything had a, and that the whole, that the partial itself, the sample document ended on a really fun, exciting moment, leaving you wanting more. And then it had just a short summary of here's what comes next in the book. And I hope you want to buy it. And so then my agent's job is to take it out to different publishers. He did that. And there were essentially three different publishers who were all interested. And then I got to go have phone calls with all of them and sort of decide where I thought that the book should land. So it is a very funny process. And so much of it, publishing is still, it's an industry that is changing a lot, obviously, with ebooks and technology, but it's still very much relationship-based and personality-based when you work in the business it's it's not working in banking or consulting. There's not a formal training program with 30 new recruits. It's really a high-touch apprenticeship model where everyone learns from their first boss. And that's kind of how you learn. And that's the style you pick up. And then you take that with you the rest of your career. So I was very lucky that I had really good bosses when I was an editor. And I feel like I learned how to be an editor because that's a funny job. And now I sometimes edit myself as I'm writing for better or worse. And, and I know my editors very well. I have known them for years now and I really trust them. And that's a huge help because having someone who's a partner who knows the story from the beginning, um, there's no, there's no substitute for that. Well, wait, yeah, this may be a silly question, but you learn how to be an editor from your boss. How do you learn to be an author? Trial and error. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so tell us about your writing process. Like, where do you write? Um, I'm always curious. Are you writing with music on in the background? Do you have snacks? Are you drinking wine? Are you drinking coffee? Yes. <laughs> All of them, yes. I write at home. I have a home office. Since I live in Texas, there's more I can afford square footage. Yeah. So I, I do have like my little office downstairs and it's so nice because I have my own space. I am a quiet writer. I don't think most authors are like this. A lot of people love to write to soundtracks or love to be out in public places. I was even in college, I had to be in silence. I was that girl who was down in the basement of the library. Like I would walk in the library and downstairs yeah. into the atrium where it was dead silent. Wait, I relate to this. Are are you an introvert? I'm always test right in the middle. I actually yeah. test extrovert, but but just barely. Okay. When I do Myers Briggs, yeah. I'm um, ENFJ. Okay, interesting. I'm INFJ. 
I think, or I am. That surprises me that you're I an introvert. Yeah. Well, every, it was funny because I was talking to a guy that I've been seeing and he's like, I just, I don't think you're an introvert. And I was like, no, but I, I am like, you just, um, like you just don't know me well enough yet or see how I recharge. Cause like in this world, like there's all these events and different things going on and people just assume that, that that's like what you thrive on. It's just my career. That's so interesting, though. You're yeah. one of those introverts who can fake it really well. Yeah. Who can go do the extrovert thing for as long as is needed, but then yeah. he has to recharge alone. And I love people. Like, I love being in groups of, like, really fun, energizing people. I love small groups. Like, three or four people, I'm I'm psyched. A big event, I'm like, okay, now I have to, like, go lay under a gravity blanket for a little while. I do love a good gravity blanket. Yeah. They're the best. But, no, I, I find that the events are – really fun and actually energize me. Yeah. And that's, I think, very atypical for authors because I, sometimes when I'm home alone, I just, I've been by myself for too long. Yes. That's I get the like biggest, that I get lonely. That's, I think yeah. people always ask what's the hardest part of being a writer. And I say, it's like any job where you work from home, whether, you know, you're a, a freelancing for people or whether you just own your own business. I think it's very easy to have days where all of a sudden it gets to be 3 p.m. And I realize that I haven't really talked to anyone that day. Mm-hmm. I do the same thing. And so I have to go outside to just seek out human contact Mm -hmm. to remind myself that the rest of the world is out there. I do that. And I'll also put a podcast on. Oh, see, I I listen to podcasts when I run and when I drive. Oh, okay. And then sometimes when I'm doing things like folding laundry or emptying the dishwasher, but I should do more of it when I'm by myself. I do listen to music in my breaks. Okay. So I sometimes am really really goofily like playing Broadway music or Disney songs and dancing around my house. I did. So I live in a townhouse and our second floor has these amazing floor to ceiling windows along the living room. Mm -hmm. And there was, and our neighbors are really close So when they're out on their terrace. They're basically, it's like being in New York. They're 10 feet from me. And there was definitely one night when I was having a really bad writing day. It was probably five 30 or six. And I went upstairs and I blasted music and I was doing one of my old high school cheerleading routines, like as much as I could remember of it. This yeah. is so embarrassing that I'm admitting this. And I, I looked it. over and my two neighbors who are probably my parents' age were sitting out on their patio with a glass of wine and they just waved at me. Like, I saw hey. them later. I was like, oh, yeah, that you saw my dance break. And, and they're so sweet. They're like, yeah, you have a we always see you in your yoga pants at 2 p.m. We don't, we don't really know what you do. This is what I do. I I dance around and I somehow make words appear eventually. I love that. That makes me that makes me laugh. I love listening to the Hamilton soundtrack when I'm just like at home working, and it, I actually like sometimes I'm not always cognizant on like Instagram stories whether I have the sound on, and a few readers have been like the Hamilton soundtrack again, and I'm like oh shit like maybe okay. I what's your favorite song of the Hamilton soundtrack? Um, I really. I like them all. It's hard to pick a favorite, but I really just get a kick out of the one with the king where he's like, You'll I love the one with the king. Yeah. yeah. My sister and I sing that sometimes yeah. when we're in the car. Yeah. I, I love also, that one. I really love uh, the, wa- obviously, the Washington song where he won last time. Yes. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's so good. Oh, so Katie, one thing I really am also curious about is the publicity for the book because I feel like for the first three books, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, you had publicity and like there was a lot, but there's been so much buzz for American Royals. Thank you. Well, that's in large part to you. So thank you for helping make it happen. I don't know about that. You guys that. have been my biggest cheerleaders and champions of anyone. Well, uh, we we genuinely really, really like it. We're not yeah. 
we're not just saying that. Yeah. That's but, good. I wouldn't want you to feel obligated to say it just because I'm sitting here. <laughs> but I'm curious how it works. So I do. You, oh, I can't, I can't remember her name. It's the author of the Gentleman of Virtue and Vice books. Oh, Mackenzie Lee. Mackenzie Lee. So on Instagram, sometimes she'll do stories about like how marketing and publicity and the behind the scenes stuff works for authors. And I had been so shocked to hear how much of that is incumbent on the author as opposed to the publisher. But I'm curious, like, how did it work for your first book? How has that been the same or different for your second book? This book is a little bit of a different animal, but just because of what the book is, it's it's more contemporary and feel. It's a bit more mainstream. The Thousand Floor series it was so fun. It suffered a bit of an identity crisis because it was a sci-fi romance and the sci-fi readers weren't really interested because they thought it was too much like Gossip Girl. And mm. I feel like contemporary romance readers were scared off even though the sci-fi is done in very light touches. It, it's, you know, it's not the Terminator. It's not a scary alien book, but it's still, I mean, obviously the book still was a New York Times bestseller and was so fun. But I the fun thing about American Royals has been that the concept is so clear. Unlike The Thousand Floor, which I always had to take a minute to explain, this is a one sentence. This is just, what if America had royals? And then people get it right away. Yeah. Everyone is dumb. The Thousand Floor is, what if Gossip Girl was set in the future? I'm so yes. happy that you say that. Everyone Thank is you. so dumb. All I mean to say is that the marketing has been a little bit easier this okay. time around because it's it's easy for people to get in a single image or a single sentence. And that has just made my publicity team's job easier and has made my job easier. But I feel like also it feels like there's been a lot of pre-promotion for the book before the book even came out. So before you even necessarily know the reception versus did that exist with your first book? There was, but we're all learning. And that just goes to show the difference between a book coming out in 2016 versus now. I feel like the blogger and influencer community has gotten a lot stronger. And I feel like publishers are a little more savvy and I'm a little savvier. I I know a bit more this time around. And so we've tried to be very thoughtful about, you know, what, how are we spending our marketing efforts and our time? A lot of it does have to come from me, going back to what Mackenzie Lee was saying. You know, there's, there are so many parts of the marketing process that just can't be done by anybody else. Like no one else can do the in-store events. No one else can come talk with you guys on the podcast. This is, and it's so fun for me. And I love getting, you know, because the job is normally lonely. Um, I love this aspect. I love getting to actually be out telling people about it and trying to build excitement. But there definitely this time around was a bit more marketing effort in advance of the book coming out because we we knew more bloggers. We had a bit more of a coherent plan. And as you guys know, there's for better or worse, a ton of pressure in book publishing placed on the New York Times bestseller list. Which, which you just made. Which I just made. So that's really we exciting. So excited. I feel like we were so invested. Like we were like, well, how do we get more books sold? Like I don't know if anything we did helps, but we were just like It really helped. You need it. You need it. And when I saw it on your story yesterday, I was like I almost cried. I was so happy for you. Do you want to know something creepy? Yes. I had it up on my computer, like the list, and I checked in the morning because I knew the yeah. list was coming out and then I was like refreshing it throughout the day to see. Oh my god, that's like what we do with our downloads. But then I missed it. Oh my it. gosh, I love that. But I, I missed it and I saw it first. I think I saw Hitha had a story and I think that's where I first saw it. I was with, so last night I was at dinner with my editors and so I was with them when 
we found out. And actually, they came to pick me up and... Um, they, they got to see I wasn't quite ready. So I was like, had half my face with makeup on, like one eye was done. I was still curling my hair. And then, and we, it always, the list always comes sometime between, I would say, you know, 4.45 and 5. And so she was just refreshing her email every two minutes and then squealed. And I'm literally there with a curling iron being like, wait, what, what? Um, so that was my moment when I found out is like me and my editor in New York together while I'm like not fully dressed. <laughs> I love that though. Oh, that's but- amazing. Wait, how does the New York Times bestseller list work? I don't know if you know, but we had Morgan Hoy on who is she works for Avid Reader and she's behind NYC Book Girl. And she was telling us there's a lot of nuance to how the New York Times bestseller list works, where it's not just like straight, you sold the most books, you are number one. Yes, in an ideal world, that would obviously be what it how it worked. Right. But it's the same as actually the way that Nielsen tracks TV ratings. They don't actually have they're not tracking every single television set in America, just as as they don't track every single book that is sold in America. That's a vast amount of data. And so it's kind of just a data analytics 101 thing where they just take a sample size and then assume that the sample is indicative of the whole. And, you know, if you interview X number of people and like that, you just multiply that pattern out. That's how we that's what we assume people are reading nationwide. The problem is that the New York Times list which is probably what Morgan was talking about, really only surveys independent bookstores. So So it doesn't necessarily count if you have sales on Amazon. E-books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. They might count some Barnes & Noble sales now, but it's very funny because we're always trying to drive sales to independent bookstores. Also, because I love independent bookstores and it's really fun to support them, but only a certain number of stores report sales to the New York Times. Interesting. So in Houston, Texas, where I live, there are only two stores that report to the New York Times, Blue Willow Bookshop and Brazos Books. And anytime I do an event, obviously I have to have one of those two bookstores, you know, be there and be selling my books for me because I, I need them to count. So it is a very funny game because, you know, now now that people know me really well and people in my personal life will ask me how they can support me by buying a book and they're logging onto their phone and saying, I'm just going to like order the Kindle and and have it downloaded immediately. And I try to gently steer them to a bookstore because yeah. that is a sale that actually counts for me. So it's definitely a skewed sample size for many reasons. Also, it's completely ignoring rural readers because they're only taking reports from stores in cities. Mm-hmm. So oh, that that right there, I mean, there just aren't indie bookstores in that many places. And so that's a huge swath of the population that's not really getting counted. And then of course, anyone who's like an adult reading everything on their Kindle or their iPad is not is not part of this data collection. So, you know, their algorithm, they protect their algorithm. I don't totally know how it all works, but that's like my imperfect understanding of it and um and it's a very you know it i'm obviously so honored to be on it and so thrilled that it happened this time around and i'm particularly glad because i usually sell over half of my sales as ebooks just because i have quite a few readers who are not teenagers and they aren't buying the physical books and i mean i read ebooks too you know when you're traveling when you you're busy you don't want to be carrying around five hardcover books and um i think we do oh i'm so glad you do i am that girl who takes five hardcover books to the beach sometimes i do too and then i'll like leave them i'll I'll, like usually be talking to someone whether it's a friend or if i'm alone like maybe i make friends with a bartender i'm like here i'll leave this for you like that's so cute i give these people on planes sometimes I'm like I I just finished this do you need a plane read yeah I don't really want to carry it around anymore yeah 
But anyway, so so because I have so many readers who are actually reading on ebook, I feel particularly honored that I got on the list at all because that's that's like not even all of my that's just a small yeah. part of my sales that actually counted towards that if that makes sense yeah this is so interesting is i've never had anyone be able to accurately explain how it works yeah. do you happen to know any of the stores in new york that report sales i know books of wonder does and the strand mcnally jackson mcnally jackson definitely okay i just want to know where to buy books to support yeah books that I'll, I get, I'll get back to I you love. and find out because I know there ha- there has to be one in yeah. Brooklyn that I'm not thinking of and I'm just McNally Jackson is our go-to because it's like right down the street for us there's a Williamsburg one. Oh, there's a Williamsburg one yeah. I used to always go to the one down on um in Nolita down in Nolita yeah. it's so cute I yeah. loved that one because yeah. I that was that was where my husband used to live back when we first started dating he we're was around have, the corner from it we're gonna have to go buy copies of your books because you've been so kind that well, you sent us an early copy, and then I have two copies, but I haven't bought a copy. Yeah, me either. I don't think you need to buy a copy. Yeah, but there's like <laughs> I think there's you've done many, many things for me. There's ones in my apartment, but like I don't know, I'll, I'll buy it and give it yeah. to somebody. I think I'm going to buy it and give it to someone too, just just to, help. to support That's the really New York Times bestseller list. Now that I know yeah. how it works, exactly. you guys are so sweet. You really don't need to do that, but that that makes me so thrilled. My mom, you'll I feel like you'll love this story. I feel like Grace's mom is probably similar to my well, my mom, mom is now your new friend. Oh, I know we DM now. It's amazing. I love her. <laughs> My mom has been all last week was trying to support me by buying books, but didn't want to get me in trouble, which is not really a thing. But, you know, she thought that if anyone knew that she's my mom, that they would get mad that she was trying to like manipulate the New York Times list sales. And so she went to three different bookstores and bought the book, but paid in cash so that she wouldn't use her credit card, which has McGee on it. And she, she was in New York actually for, for some, for a wedding. And so she bought one at the Shakespeare and co on the upper West side where I was having an event the following week. And she so she bought three books there and apparently as she was checking out um the the store assistant said oh this author's coming in and my mom just lo- she loves a good game of make-believe so she just really leaned into her oh, role no. and goes oh my gosh really like i don't know anything about this book or this author it just was recommended to me what do you what do you think like what do you think the author's like and then like pull goes to the picture and it's like oh well i don't know do you think she looks nice like just really leaning oh into God. her oh my god yeah this and- sounds like something someone in my family would do this sounds like something your aunt jean would do yes i was thinking of her specifically my aunt jean i wish you could meet her she's amazing she loved your book she read it but um um, she does things like this all the time, like comments on my Instagram, like, oh, that's a great outfit. Tell me more about this designer. And I'm like, because she knows that engagement is really good for my Instagram. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. And she has a dog and the dog will also comment like all the, all the accounts. Oh, yeah. You need exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Wait, while you're explaining things to us, can you explain to us how books become TV shows or movies. And I'm also curious if there's anything percolating with The Thousandth Floor, which apparently... I'm so hopeful. Fingers crossed. Well, how does that work? I have an agent in LA who represents these... who is handling the sales of these books for me to TV or movie studios. She is trying to sell them for TV first. And typically, it's better for the book overall if there is a script in place so for both series she's currently working with screenwriters to get a script so she has a pair i I don't know who the thousandth floor team is but she definitely has a pair of female screenwriters who who are working on 
a pilot script for American Royals. And is that normal that the author ne- doesn't necessarily have anything to do with adapting the book for a screenplay? I Or is that because of your timing that you're promoting both. your next book? I probably could, if I wanted to, I could certainly write a screenplay and take it to my agent and see if she was interested. She might be, her job is to be very honest with me. So she might say, I need a professional here or you need some help. Let's get someone in to be like a co-writer. I haven't actually tried it yet. And I think if it's anything similar to writing books, um, it just takes a while to get into the swing of. Mm -hmm. And I I have never, I mean, obviously the books are full of dialogue. Screenwriting is a very different game. You have far fewer words and you have to accomplish the same amount of story turns and plot twists with only the dialogue. Yeah. And of course you can write what's how you can stage manage and give directions for what the setting looks like and what the characters are doing. But it's still, it's a different kind of writing and I haven't really dipped my toes into it yet. As far as the rest of it goes, I, you know, my agent is really great. And so I don't think she would do anything that I felt very uncomfortable with or didn't love. No, but I, but I definitely, um, I don't know if how much power I have at the end of the day, if somebody wanted to do the books, but wanted to change some key factor, I don't know, make them all much older or, or change the timeline somehow, you know, it's possible that those things would get decided without my input. That's so interesting. I'm learning so much today. Yeah, same. So before we let you go, can we can we switch gears to our favorite topic of reading? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So I don't know how much time you've had to read as you're churning out a book a year for the past four years, but I'm curious, like, do you have other favorite royal books? Did you get into the genre? Uh, well, obviously, I love the royal we. Obviously. It's amazing. And I got to meet... Have you guys had the Fug Girls on yet? Not no, yet. we really to. should. They're on our list. We, they're amazing. They're in LA. We they're are in waiting LA. You'd have to phone them in hopefully a second book from them and then yes and we are also hoping to do an la live show at some point and have them be guests they moderated or they were in conversation with me for my la event last week and they're so so much fun so you should definitely meet them yeah i loved them but yeah so that's i mean to me that's like the gold standard of of like a modern right book about fake royals who I mean, I guess mine is about fake royals, but but mine aren't a real country that has royals. Yours are like made up royals and theirs are like ripped from the headlines. Yes, exactly. Theirs could be real because England really does have royals in the real world. Right, and it's like thinly veiled. Like it is Prince William. And And I'm 100% here for it. I'm way okay with it. I love those books. Yeah, they are working on a sequel. So aside from that, I have been reading a lot of royal nonfiction. Oh, interesting. Some of it more fun than others. If you have not read... 99 Glimpses of Princess Margaret by Craig Brown. That is the Princess Margaret biography that came out maybe last summer. It is so good. And if you liked Princess Margaret on the crown, I felt like I... I loved her on the crown. I didn't know how much fun she was until I watched the crown. She was so fun. She was like a princess from a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. She was young and beautiful and lonely and had a forbidden love affair that went wrong. It's it's all, I mean, it's, you know, truth is better than fiction sometimes. And so his book is really, really well done and explores all the different phases of her life. 
And um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I have a quite a long royal reading list. We can we can talk more about all the different ones later, but that one's great. And then if you haven't read Kitty Kelly's book, The Royals, it's dated, but it's still amazing. Okay. She was essentially the queen of biography, the unauthorized biography back in probably the 80s and 90s. And she would spend years researching one book and then and then do so she did one on the Kennedys, she did one on the Bushes, oh, and wow. then she did this one on the Windsors, and it is just it reads like a Daily Mail article. Yeah. Oh. For four hundred pages. Yeah. And it's great. It's it's when did it come out? Do you know? Oh, ages ago. I don't even know. Nineteen ninety Diana was still alive when she oh, wrote okay. it. She's okay. written a new foreword after Princess Diana's death, but that's how old it is. That But it's not contemporary that like William and Harry are their children no they're still children yeah that's there's not as much fun juicy drama about them and that's the fun thing about the Windsors overall is that they they've really hit their stride in being tabloid fodder right now because they're actually at an age that's interesting I just remember for so long when I was young and you guys probably felt the same way I didn't think there was anything sexy or interesting about the royals because Mm -hmm. poor Charles we all I I I feel like I attack him all the time and he probably doesn't deserve it. But like, there's nothing that fun about Charles. Right. And the queen is great, but the queen is uncontroversial, which is her job. Mm-hmm. And then when the boys were 14 and 18, you know, and they were super protected from the press, there were almost no photos of them. There was nothing really to say about them. They just had this big gap to fill. And now luckily the boys are older. They've married these like super glamorous, really fun, driven, interesting women there's a whole new generation of children that we can love on. And I feel like, yeah, the Windsors are back. I mean, now we love talking about them again. Yeah. What are you reading right now? Right now I'm reading, oh, it's so dry. I'm reading a domestic history of the British royal household. Literally. So that's the name of it. That sounds dry. It's a nonfiction book about how the British royal household is structured and like how how they do their accounting and how the ladies in waiting work and all this stuff. It's the kind of thing that like helps me get a few key tidbits to add texture to American royals. For fun, I just finished reading a book called Anna Kay that is coming out next year by an author named Jenny Lee, who also lives in LA. She's fantastic and so funny. It is a reimagining of Anna Karenina in modern New York. It's basically oh, Gossip fun. Girl. I want to read that. Gossip Girl, but like even racier than Gossip Girl. Sold. When does that come out? I think it comes out next spring. Okay. I'll tell her that she needs to send you guys a copy. Yeah. I, I blurbed it and I was so excited to blurb it. I mean, it is just. This sounds r- right up my alley. It's multi POV, juicy, juicy, scandalous. Oh. I had no idea. I never read Anna Karenina, which is embarrassing to admit as an English major. I just never went into Me the whole either. Russian lit world. I had no idea Anna Karenina was such a dramatic, saucy story. It's I out March 3rd for this book. Checked. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Grace is going to go track down copies after yeah. after this. Yeah, I'm either going to track down copies or pre-order it. I don't know. <laughs> Katie, we can't even thank you enough for sharing so much with us. We, you schooled us. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I know. I feel like I gave too much history. No, no, we, we can it. cut some of that out. No, no, we love it. <laughs> we love it. Uh, but this has been incredible. And if you have not read American Royals yet. What are you even doing? What are you doing? This book is pr- or this episode is pretty spoiler free. So you, we didn't ruin anything for you other than knowing that you're going to end angry because there's a cliffhanger. 
go pick it up. Go pick it up somewhere that counts for the New York Times bestseller list, we've learned. And also follow Catherine on Instagram. Where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at, at Catherine McGee with the K-A-T-H-A. Is there any characters in there? Or is, No, it's all one word. It's all one word. For some reason, I thought you had an underscore. I don't know why. No. I followed you for so long that it just populates, so I never have to write I know. It. Luckily, Catherine McGee was still available when I yeah. tried to take it, probably because my spelling is so weird. Yeah. This has been so fun. Thank you. Thank you guys yes. so much for having me. This was delightful. We loved it. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.